random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And on this episode, we are talking about the legacy of John Romita Sr. and Jr., the Romita legacy in general. And just let's first off talk about our introduction. Who was your first? Were you a John Romita Jr. guy first or a John Romita Sr. guy first? Like, What was your introduction? That's a good question. I don't know if I have a good answer, because had to be senior, right? It Just had like to in be. the regular yeah, it, art. Yeah, because I don't have, and we probably do have in in our vast acquired knowledge of when Junior took over after Senior, and that would help gra- get me more gravitated to know. Oh yeah, that's right. I started on this issue. Actually, I think my first uh, Amazing Spider-Man issue was one fifty-seven, one fifty-nine. It was a Hammerhead issue on the cover. So that's my, you know. Getting on point. Hammerhead is such a great villain, by the way. And again, like certain ones, you would not see Steve Ditko utilize like that. Like, and I'm just gonna get this right out of the room. The elephant in the room, my ass. Now, what we're gonna be talking about is, do we prefer Steve Ditko or John Romita Sr. on Spider-Man? And I'll be completely honest, ladies and gentlemen, while I admire the contributions of Steve Ditko in the realm of comics, especially as a diehard Spider-Man fan. Ramita Sr.'s got my heart more. There's just something about that art style, very clean, very concise. And he doesn't make Spider-Man a creep. So I prefer Ramita Sr. Well, you mean in terms of visually, how he looks? All, all of the above. Okay. Because I, I can certain... agree with that, yeah, because it, it uh, the Ditko Spider-Man does look kind of funky, creepy, wonky. And that's what it's supposed to be. But yeah, also, yeah. he's supposed to be this brave kind of hero, and instead it's just like, I would not want to know this person. Like, even the Peter Parker. Like, I think he's a creep. Like, he's just like a weirdo. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the passive-aggressive of how he broke up with Betty Brant? Nah, he's a dick. The outcast. Yeah, oh. Maybe. hey ya, hey ya. Oh, there you go. Shake Stank- it. Stankonia. <laughs> really? <laughs> and so forth. But in regards to, you know, the Ramita legacy, like, I prefer Ramita Sr. over Ditko. And by the way, in this episode, we are going to have... John Romita Jr. Uh, recorded the audio at New York Comic Con this past year, so get to hear from uh, good old JRJR. One of the so. sources themselves, or just JR, as he likes to be known. In regards to the Romita legacy, though, I would say, like, you say it probably was John Romita Sr. that you were introduced to first. I would say it was more John Romita Jr. for myself. Obviously, you know, being a kid of the 90s and 2000s, I get that, but. By then, he was kind of like, you know, slowly retiring for the, from the industry. He was more of like an art director at Marvel. So he really wasn't heavily involved on the active stuff. Like, even merchandising, like, they slowly started, you know, phasing out. Spider-Man artists for me at the time were Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Mark Bagley, etc., etc. And, of course, John Romita Jr. And I remember reading, like, comics at the time and, you know, getting back in in 2011 part of my return to comics DNA was kick-ass and experiencing the artwork of John Romita Jr. Just pun, no pun intended. It was kick-ass. There's just something, you know, vibrant and exciting about it. And some people out there, you know, they're very overly critical of his work. Oh, it's too blocky. It's too this. Well, again, have you ever heard of uh, uh, Jack Kirby or, oh, I don't know, Eric Larson? It just, it seems so silly to criticize that when also you can just not buy it. Ta-da! Yeah, that's your freedom of choice, yeah. right? Exactly. Um, I, I do think that Ramita Senior was the, as many have said, Penultimate. definitive. Yeah, the definitive Spider-Man artist that you knew and recalled and recognize with with frequency, uh, and then continuing and evolving as from Ditko to Ramita Senior, and then continuing down to Jr. That, yeah. Iconic, you can say also. Oh, 110%. And there's there's something special about the Ramita Senior artwork 
that it's so hard to replicate and yet it looks like it's so simple to do but when you see it on as on the whole it's like it's like you look at it from afar and it's like oh that's easy to do and you look at it you attempt it, it's like oh shit i can't do this <laughs> if you're yeah if you're inclined to want to try and uh, replicate that or imitate that and for me i wasn't and me i think i maybe use tracing paper or very thin paper that i could again trace lines over the characters and then, and then color them in you know on my own on my own doing but part of my first exposure to John Romita Sr. was the Marvel Tales series. And I'm hard-pressed right now to figure out what issue I started with with respect to that, which, of course, went back to the early John Romita Sr. days. So that got me introduced when you were just talking a little bit ago. I'm remembering Captain Stacy. Yeah, and he the, was just zoning out as I was talking. He's like, ah, oh, he's saying stuff. No, and the fight with Doc Ock on the rooftop and the chimney crumbling and falling down and the death of, of him. And that's about where I think I came into the Marvel Tales and again, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to use this as an as a uh, opportunity to put him down, but like you look at the Ditko run versus the Ramita Senior run, Ramita Senior has way more legendary and impactful moments. You have the you know the death of Captain Stacy. You have the debut of the Kingpin, which by the way we're going to be talking about a little bit on this episode. We have what else is there, Eddie? We have you know the reveal of Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin. Yep. And just yeah. oh so many different things. Like the first appearance physically of Mary Jane Watson, the love of Peter Parker's life. It's it's kind of crazy to see like oh so many different things. There are a lot of creators out there that have had those you know legendary moments, but it's maybe one or two. Meanwhile, this guy's just like, yeah, I'm going to make a cup of coffee and have like two th- great things happen at the same time. Yeah. Well, I see in this issue, though, that we're talking about the Spider-Man No More issue, which is what, number 50? Correct. That... Peter is juggling or balancing or interacting these relationships that he has. His life. Whether it's Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane Watson, Mrs. Watson, uh, his Aunt May has taken ill in part of it, but she is recovering now, and, and Peter's feeling all this guilt of not being there for her and not being able to be Peter, but, you know, having to do so much and be so tied up in the Spider-Man character that it seems people hate and stemming, of course, from J. Jonah Jameson, but him coming to, Peter coming to the uh, perhaps realization that maybe they're right. All this bad publicity, press, whatever about me, maybe there's something to it. Am I really doing something wrong, or is it not going the way I thought it would go? Is she really going out with him? Joe Jackson, thank you very much. Yes. Remade by Sugar Ray. Ew. This is true. Not, not my opinion of it, but Fun. different version. Fun story about that. We'll just go on a mini type, mini uh, digression. <laughs> my uh, mom was on the phone once with my aunt, and you know she got tickets to go see Sugar Ray. And my mom's like, "Yeah, we're gonna go see Sugar Ray." And then there's silence, and then you hear, "No, Mary, not the boxer." <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's funny. Needless to say, I laughed really hard, and she's like, "Why are you laughing, asshole?" I'm like, oh, "That's funny." <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the end of that story. Laugh happens. No, with John Romita Senior, we have a definite evolution of the character. Oh, and, no and dare I say, a more, I don't know, believable, not realistic... I don't, I don't say believable. I say, much, like, it's a much more... And this was his the biggest comment about his art at the time, because he was he came from the world of romance comics. And, yes. you know, working on Daredevil, like, he made very handsome characters. And it's very, very noticeable with how he would create these characters. And when he got onto the Spider-Man title, he was like, oh, man, I got... I gotta, you know, go back and do the style of what Ditko did. Like, I have to make him a creep. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's like, okay. And then, like, you just start seeing, like, little bits and traces of who he really is as an artist come out. He's like, eh, screw it up. I'm gonna make him handsome. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. And that's what he does. And it's, regardless of anything, it's such an iconic view of this character. When you think of Spider-Man in the 60s, the hipsters will go on saying, "Oh, Steve Ditko and everything he did." I think I think John Romita Senior. And that depends also too upon your given age, and we've kind of said that yeah. before as it is. But the progression, evolution of the character, and again, um, making it more palatable or believable yeah. in, in ways that yes, Peter I'm curious Parker. How you say believable with that? Relatable. That's what okay, I think okay. the word I'm, I'm, that's yes. where I'm going for with yeah. his actions and everything and how he's. 
and having these problems that you can, again, relate to, having them just like at the outset, Peter being a high schooler, having these teenage problems, and of course, very immersed in 60s speak, and you know maybe we'll get into some of the uh, terms and words that are and phrases that are being used here. But again, making this visually and verbally more relatable, more understandable. Like, yeah, I can understand him being upset about it, maybe being uh, feeling like he's uh, inferior, and he's maybe, more palatable. Yeah. Like, this is a much more palatable comic than the other ones are, and again. I admire everything about the previous run that, you know, preceded this, but there's something very... The the word beautiful comes to mind a lot with certain panels, you know, when I think about them. And the one that we all know... First off, let's talk about the cover of Amazing Spider-Man number 50, and mm-hmm. it's the Spider-Man No More cover, which, by the way, is an homage... Well, it's not... It's kind of an homage slash tribute to a uh, Superman cover from the 1950s where it's Superman no more and he's walking away as uh, Clark Kent or no Superman is looking down seeing oh he doesn't want to be Superman anymore he's just going to be plain old Clark Kent back shot of the superhero head head turned looking over the shoulder kind of thing and it's a great cover like both books are great covers we have one by the late great Kurt Swan and the other by John Romita Sr. and gorgeous looking work and it's like it tells a story in such a strong dynamic way where you're just like imagine being the kid you know coming down with like you know your allowance for the week and you're like I can only get one comic this week what am I going to get and you see that cover versus all the uh, other stuff on the market at the time yeah I'm going to go with that Spider-Man one because it's already like pulling me in there's no word balloons of oh my god I have to save Superman because I turned into a pancake oh no a pancake it's, yeah, it's like Jimmy Olsen well you're making you're thinking as a maybe comic book purchaser that Spider-Man no more does this mean this is the last issue yeah. not in terms of oh I have to you get might this think to, that to, to collect this and it's not going to come out anymore but what you know the whole idea is what's going to happen you know being enticed to to make the purchase for the yeah. 20 cents or whatever it was at the time and it's smart it's smart marketing it's smart storytelling of a lot of this stuff and being able to do that you have these strong dynamic visuals and in this issue, you have Spider-Man realizing, I can't do any of this anymore. I can't juggle these you know, different lives. So now what I'm going to have to do as a result is give up being Spider-Man. And you end up seeing the panel, the full-page spread, where he literally takes the costume and throws it in a trash can and walks away as it's stuck in an alleyway. And It's raining. I love that visual. And mm-hmm. it's it's an, a visual that has been referenced so many times in pop culture it was one of the biggest things in Spider-Man 2 which that whole movie is a love letter to the uh, the Lee Kirby Di- or Lee Ditko Romita runs of Spider-Man yeah because we're in we're not even halfway into the issue we're on yeah. it looks like they've at that point when they were numbering the pages page 8 is that iconic one page in the alley garbage can costume yeah yeah and it's very powerful storytelling you end up having the fights in this issue as you know everything's going on with the battle for who's going to take over the city, you have, you know, Foswell versus Kingpin. And mm. again, Spider-Man is like, you know, you'll always hear it about X-Men, and I do agree with that. But Spider-Man is a solid comic book soap opera as well. Because you're yep. looking at all these inner workings of like, is he going to fall in love with her? Is she going to, you know, realize it is this, is this? Who, you know, who's going to take care of Aunt May? It's all of the other little problems in life but wrapped up in a superhero uh, soap opera-esque lens. Um, yeah, just t- tying into, again, the the costume going into the trash. We don't, they don't miss a beat because on the very next page, we've got the young kid coming in with it Yeah, to bring to a very scary looking, but very much smiling and beaming J. Jonah and Jameson. His, his J. Jonah Jameson is such a damn fine rendering, you know, as opposed to like, again, the very whatever one of the Ditko one like this one is just like he's a monster <laughs> and it, it, you know I appreciate like in this issue you end up seeing what is like the most like there are so many accurate things in the real world that are reflected in the world of Spider-Man and for me the most real thing is newspaper publishers are very stingy people and that is an absolute truth ladies and gentlemen 
Not that I know from any experience. You have some kind of No, I don't. Insight. No, no. Insight. No. What was the name of the helicarrier? No. from S.H.I.E.L.D., wasn't it? Mm. Captain America? Mm. But anyway. Winter Soldier? Insight? Project I think Insight. the idea of a lot of these characters, like these versions of them, they're like a revamp of what was previously done before. And yeah, that J. Jonah Jameson in these is su- such a great version that, once again, old, you know, flat top... Like, that's the interpretation, oh, so many people know and love. And, like, when you're reading or when you're watching the uh, Sam Raimi trilogy and you see Jonah, it's this one. Like, you read these pages and you can hear J.K. Simmons reading those lines of dialogue. Like, oh, give him a free newspaper. It's like, oh, yeah. Nailed it. And as soon as yeah. I saw J.K. Simmons doing the J. Jonah, I'm like, yeah, definitely nailed it. No question about it. Although he could be fuzzy top as well as flat top. He sure could. Yeah. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice, or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. But in regards to a lot of this story, the action sequences that John Romita Sr. gives the viewer, and it's it's cool to see. It's cool to see the dynamism of what is going on because you want to have that in a comic book. You want to have, like, real, real-ish violence and action going in there because otherwise, why are you spending your, at the time, 12 cents for this book? You know? For this issue? How much did you pay for this one, Eddie? Because it's a Marvel Tales. This one, no, I thought it was maybe 15 or 20 cents, the original, but this, maybe, Marvel, this Marvel Tales at the time of its publication was... 75 cents. And by the way, I wanted to point out that you're reading the Marvel Tales version, and I don't, I didn't read your version. I read the one on Marvel Unlimited, and all the pages loaded. And what ended up happening was, um, I've always noticed, I, I like that in the reprints, they want to make these a little bit more modern for the modern audiences. So, like, they'll change up things. And that's why, like, back in the uh, late 90s, Marvel teamed up with uh, John Byrne to do Spider-Man Chapter 1, like a modern retelling of everything. And you end up seeing, like, random references and, like, to modernize it. But it's kind of funny because you do some of those modernized references and not realizing at the time, oh, this is going to make it look dated as hell. Like, Chapter 1 has a Titanic joke because of the movie. Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. In these books, the Spider-Man Marvel Tales books, I don't know what yours has, but in certain reprintings of them, like... They'll say, like, I'm going to see, uh, you know, a famous comedian at the time perform. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Or, like, you'll see, like, a line, like, in the reprints, yeah, I'm going to go see Andrew Dice Clay. It's like, wait, <laughs> I don't think. Why Why are you dressed like that, too, Spidey? It's like, no. Well, I just took a look. This was in the summer of 86 when the Marvel Tales version was very came out. first strict six string. Bought it at the five in time. Thanks, Brian Adams. Eddie Wilson thought the song. Knew it was at Brian Adams. Peter still continuing jokes. That Is fell that what flat that a while ago. <laughs> he should just shut up and do show. I really need to shut the microphone off more often. Rude. <laughs> Rude, sir. Anyway. How dare I? But in regards to just a lot of the action in this issue, I love how this is. And another thing that I wanted to point out about this issue is in regards to the storytelling, I love the uh, the the inner web that it weaves of everything going on because everything is reflective of what's going on around it. 
all the different relationships that he's having and, you know, from one page to the next and intercutting what else is happening in the same timeline, of course, that would make sense. Uh, The only thing that illustrates a point, too, is I think we're about halfway into the issue. The 12th page, it looks like the hand, two disembodied hands holding guns, one handgun each and all in red. Oh, man, I got to see Eddie do his best Annie Oakley. Yeah. Reach for it, mister. But in regards to other things in this issue that I believe this is the very first time we get it, but once Spider-Man realizes, I have to be Spider-Man, I have to do this because it's my responsibility to my dead Uncle Ben. I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this, I have to hit Kingpin with a wiffle ball bat. It's like all these different things. And it's the very first time we're recounting the origin of Spider-Man and I'm genuinely shocked there's not one panel in here that was recreated. And it's the one panel where Aunt May is giving Peter wheat cakes and Uncle Ben is caressing Peter's bicep. I've seen that panel recreated, no joke, about 15 times at this point as I'm going through my Spider-Man read-through. And my God, is it a tiring visual. So to read this, I'm like, I wonder if they're going to do that. I'm like, oh, thank God. I don't need to see Uncle Ben like look like, you know, a, a, a saltine cracker with a face on it. You know, it's like, I don't get this. Why are we still doing this? But I understand why. The whole point of it might be someone's first. But I really don't think you need to hammer home the whole wheat cake point. Well, we we do, it, uh, apparently, for pretty, I think, obvious reasons, need to do some kind of, but it, it's different. It's a different type of flashback where Peter's remembering someone that he saw in fighting off a crime committed against an individual and hoping or being in the shadows, sort of, that they don't see him punching out two thugs, protecting this uh, one person here, could be a guard of some sort, I believe, and him saying he looks familiar i can't figure out and then he says uncle ben to himself that's who this person reminded of the the watchman i wanted to show eddie the wheat cake scene yeah the wheat cake scene right exactly. and i'm pretty sure i i can find about five different versions of that but yeah and enough and hopefully it was remembered that we've done this a few times let's not oh hold on here's one for a modern one up in the top oh. left or top right okay yeah yep. we got okay. that one we got uh where we got wheat cake arm where we're oh Oh, we got the the new version where it's uh, what's his name, Doctor Octopus, taking over the body, oh and it's replacing the memories. And look whose arm is getting caressed. It's Doctor Octagonopus. Mm-hmm. Find someone who loves you just as much as Uncle Ben loves rubbing Peter's bicep while he eats wheat cakes and drinks milk. But the realization or the remembering comes in, and you know a little more flashback, getting the burglar in the warehouse. And then, you know, if things went different, we'd all have wheat cakes. That's probably about it. And so, you know, this issue wraps up in regards to the sense of, hey, you know, I got to be Spider-Man. I got to be me. So you see him go off doing his thing, and it's a to-be-continued. And we didn't plan this far ahead. I thought it was a self-contained issue, and I just want to do the one issue. So we're good. It's like, look out, world, I'm back yeah. kind of thing, you know. And it's it's an important story, and it's, again— if you can only read one John Romita senior story, it's this one. Like this is absolutely perfect in regards to telling the story of what Spider-Man is. And it's, you know, a master at his craft with John Romita senior, because he does owe so much great things with the realm of storytelling. And again, I love that about this. Mm -hmm. And you know, we see it passed down. Like, there's so many different storytelling techniques that I see his son, John Romita Jr., use in his web arsenal. And it's just, it's so cool to see the family tradition. And for this episode as well, you know, I wanted to cover two key stories for both of their careers. And the biggest one is Amazing Spider-Man number 36, volume two by John Romita uh, Jr., the uh, 1999 the, run, I believe, yeah, right? The 1990, 1999 uh, reboot run, mm-hmm. and it's it's a phenomenal story. But like, this was you know one of those stories, the 9/11 issue. And if you're a comic fan in you know in the realm of Marvel, you know this issue. It's a very haunting issue because literally right off the bat, the cover is jet black, and 
there's just something very special about this story. And it's like, you know, I remember when I was a kid and 9-11 had happened and I remember where I was. I remember everything going on and it was a very cataclysmic event. It's something, you know, you're not, you, this is not the first time, you know, you've heard this in your life as somebody describes it, you know, especially if you're young out there and you're hearing this story, it's like, yeah, you know, you weren't there, but you know what it was like, you know? Yeah, you heard about it, you know, and most people who lived through this event, experience, tragedy, etc., um, know where they were. And Marvel um, Marvel Comics are called the world outside your window, and that's really what it is. And Marvel Comics, they reflect the real world of what's going on, although sometimes it kind of confuses me. They'll pick and choose the real world and incorporate it in their stories and whatnot, like we are still going through a pandemic and I'm kind of surprised nothing ever really happened. And I get why I completely understand why they're not going to acknowledge it or this or that, but it's the real world. So wouldn't you still find a way, but I get it. I absolutely get it. But in regards to this story, this was like a shockwave nine 11, you know, was affecting a lot of people in the Marvel offices because that's where Marvel is based, New York City. Same thing with the Distinguished Competition at the time. They were based in New York City, now based in Burbank. And seeing everything go on, it was hard to ignore. You can't, you know, like, hey, we're not going to talk about this. You got to talk about it because at the time, people are looking for heroes in any way, shape, or form. You have the first responders. You have the you know, everybody involved at the time. And I remember as a kid, you know, when this had happened, I remember we were glued to watching cable news every single day. And I remember, by the way, when this had happened, I was in seventh grade uh, history class. Yeah, it was seventh grade history class. And I remember, you know, in order to get extra participation points of the day, if you could name off all of the cabinet members and this and that, and I rattled them off. Mm. I don't remember them now, but like I remember, you know, Rumsfeld, Powell, this, that, and I, I named them by title mm -hmm. because it was all in my, you know, memory because like we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't. And being able to read this story going through it and experiencing John Romita Jr.'s art, of course. But seeing the story and seeing all this stuff go on, it was a flash flood of memories. Like, I remember coming home and seeing my grandma grandma watching TV, and it was CNN just watching the news and going on like, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know what's going to happen, and seeing the you know a nation united over something, something terrible, and being able to relive it again it's 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 an interesting thing but this issue you know they took a break from the story and by the way they took the break they took a break in the story at the most inopportune time like this is a moment where it's like literally about to be the issue i think a after this is aunt may going peter i know you're spider-man well and this is like the issue in between it's like what are we gonna do now mm -hmm. like we gotta like do something, but it's like, it's, it's a good example of life imitating art in the sense of, yes, yeah, something big is gonna happen, but something else bigger is going to interrupt it. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's what it is. Like real life happens, so to see, you know, going, going, oh, and now we'll go back to it again. But things happen, and you're looking at these pages and. It's, you know, all of the superheroes helping out with the first responders and showing, you know, the Marvel superheroes aren't the real superheroes. They are, you know, the people helping out on 9-11 and, the, you know, the days, weeks, months preceding. Or, I mean, you know, I mean, following. Take that following. There we go. Mm -hmm. Easy for me to say. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what this story is, is the strong visuals. And my only complaint about this issue, and it's, you know, a number of people have made the complaint, and it's not, you know, Ramita Jr.'s fault, but Dr. Doom crying. It just feels so weird seeing that's like, Dr. Doom wouldn't be crying. He, you know what I mean? It's like, like when I see that, I'm just like, eh, no, that, like, 
But I get it. I absolutely get it. But it's like that's the part where it's like it hasn't aged very well, that part. But everything else. I think this is something that that point. uh, Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I don't agree it being a a weak point in the sense that this is leveling the playing field. No, no slight intended whatsoever. But this puts everybody on the same page. We're all on this planet together. This is humanity. And now, next month I'll go back to killing Richards. It's like it feels like that to me though, you know? It's like this is a reality check. Yeah. Oh yeah. 110%. In in you know, so many ways. And so I mean, I don't know if you didn't have Doom, Kingpin, Magneto in here would it have been oh, why didn't you have some other characters represented here? Yeah. But Especially Kingpin being New York centric related, I think what Octopus is in here also, in uh, perhaps in the background of the one shot of all the villains, um, and maybe you know just singling out Doom as perhaps the baddest, the most evil, and then having this reaction from him, yeah, provokes uh, maybe not an upset reaction of that's impossible. Well, how could that even happen? But it's like again, it levels it out. It brings it all home, uh, real, etc. And then you're seeing in the issue other things, and again, it's it tugs at the heartstrings too. Like you're seeing the shots of the people in the plane that went and crashed into Washington, and it's heartbreaking because you're realizing, you know, that's the real people in yeah. this, you know, and again. I've, and I feel like, you know, a lot of stuff, like, you had to acknowledge this because you're showing the New York City landscape throughout so many stories in the Marvel Universe. To ignore that and just, you know, re- kind of that explanation, that, you know, it does a disservice to the people that lost their lives, even in a fictional world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just trying to recall, at least there was one, and I'm sure there's more than one um, interview, televised interview, that Joe Casada. Uh, was perhaps asked the question about doing this issue and saying that they had to. Yeah. To not do it would be a disservice to to ignore it or make believe it wasn't there. It was not the right thing to do. I don't know if John Romita Jr. was asked uh, in an interview or if he ever said to anybody, what did it feel like or what, you know, you being tasked to put visuals to the events. It's such an important issue. It really but, yeah. is. And it uh it it like shakes you up. Like and it's it's very hard to like this is definitely John Romita Jr.'s masterpiece. One hundred percent. Like there's just something very special. Like there's he did kick ass. He did Daredevil with Ann Nascenti. He did so many great Spider-Man stories, but like this, this is his like number one. It could very well be that, I, I feel uh, that. because of the subject material. But I don't know that personally. If I say, if I think John Romita Jr., this is the first thing that it's up there for sure. I don't know if it's if it's the single most thing that he will be. Known for. I think it will, to be honest. Like, his Marvel career, at least, I think this. 100% this. Like, there's just... There's a way this is... It could be one of several high points in in, in that sense of, you know, if you want to call it accomplishments would, of I, the artist. But I don't see this... Like, saying this is his number one, I don't see that as a slight in the, at all. Like, this is yeah. his crowning achievement. Because think about it like this, too. You have to, like willpower through looking at these photographs of all this wanton destruction and like real world supervillains did this kind of stuff yeah and you're having to create these images his heart and his soul is behind that that makes it a number one that yeah so that's why i'm like what, what we're seeing in the visual what, what he is able to bring through and to have come through to the reader the the visual aspect yeah. of it this yes is that's this where is numero uno that's where he gets the accolades yes and he he did um a great job of of uh, relating it and and bringing it 
bringing it home if and this this issue has so many iconic shots like especially when you see the shot of Spider-Man just standing there looking at all the destruction and it's like you, you how he makes him so small and insignificant yep. to the larger scope of what goes on that's great storytelling but it's also great storytelling with the mirroring mirroring mirror mirroring effect of the real world and i love that i think the idea of showing this at the end of the day these stories they're insignificant little things to what the real world is but the these quote unquote insignificant stories have a great deal of importance for the real world because they get our mind off of the negativity they help us out cope with these kind of things mm-hmm. because they real they show you things can get better and things will get better as long as we stick together and have a level of positivity and the last page that's a great shot yeah. the whole visual of all of the superheroes but they're not front and center they're all the way in the back and front and center first responders, first responders. love seeing that because it's it, sh- it tells a story and it shows that hey we're here but these are the real ones these are the ones that helped out and like you hear stories like over the years like of people that helped out and people that lost their lives and again just the severity of it all and I feel like you know John was able to work his ass off and just tell a story that you know I can almost guarantee when he was done with this and he had the finished copy in his hand the printed edition he handed it to his dad and his dad probably said you did a great job you did good for these people and it's like that's one of the most important things because like he always lived he he will always live in the shadow of his father but he's been able to make a career for himself and be able to be his own person and that's what I love about his work I will always be like the biggest John Romita Jr. booster and like it's going to show later on in this episode you know with the interview that I got to do with him but it's like as I lovingly call him my comic book uncle like you know there's something about his artwork the bombacity and the fun of what it is because like I love Jack Kirby stuff and he's been compared to Jack Kirby with a lot of what he does I love the energy and the fun of a John Romita Jr. comic. I love how he'll take something and he's just like, no, you know what? I'm going to throw this in here and throw, you know, badassery, like in the kick-ass stories or in the uh, the Wolverine comics he did with, the, you know, just so much, like, badass, you know, blood and guts kind of stuff, and he makes it work. And when you're reading Kick-Ass and you're seeing the main character get hit in the face you can feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, boom! Like, right then and there. You get that level of intensity and raw energy. And it's it's what makes me love his work. And, like, he's he's up there on my Mount Rushmore of Spider-Man artists. Like, he, there's just something about that style. And like, I got to go, when I went to see him at Comic-Con this year, I got a commission from him. And I was like, I need this in my collection. When I heard his price, I'm like, oh, yes, we are doing that right now. <laughs> um, but the whole point of his work it's you know you, some people may not like it and that's perfectly fine but I love the hell out of Jun, uh, John Romita Jr.'s work and there's just something like you will always remember your first of what got you into something like I will always remember you know my first Guns N' Roses song I'm a big Guns N' Roses fan and I will always remember that Appetite for Destruction was what got me in and I will always remember when I got fully invested in comics, John Romita Jr.'s runs were what like really attracted me. You know, I was like, I'm a kid of the '90s, so like, of course, there's gonna be my love of uh, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, Mark Bagley, Mark Bagley especially with you know the Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, which was what, which was what got me in. But the raw energy of a John Romita Jr. Oh man, and like. That's why I'm jealous of you with so many things with your comic book fandom because you were there in the 1980s experiencing this stuff for the first time, picking up a Daredevil comic on the stand and being like, oh, shit, Typhoid Mary. It's like you're looking at these visuals, these stories, and like living in the moment of that. That's the best. Like Being able to see that, it's like, my God. You got to see Dark Heart. And no digital. 
hey, the post, well, my pages are still loading. <laughs> but in regards to a lot of these stories, like that's the neatest thing. And I would say with uh, his run, like when he, by the way, when he moved to DC, I was so bummed out, but I was also happy for him because of the future possibilities of what he could do. Like there are some, like he got to do Batman, he got to do Superman, he got to, you know, not a lot of things with her, but he got to do some stuff with Wonder Woman, like a little bit. But he, you know, he got he got to touch the Trinity. Mm-hmm. But personally, and I said to him in our our long form interview from a few months back, I would have loved to have seen a John Romita Jr. Green Lantern comic because imagine the stuff and fun he would have had with I'm that. Sure. Oh my God! Like I have in my head, and I'm not saying the Hal Jordan one. I'm saying Kyle Rayner because mm-hmm. Kyle Rayner is an artist. You end up throwing some of that stuff in there and have him working full cylinder, doing all the different things. He would love to see a Green Lantern generate with his power ring. Why not? Yeah. That would be friggin' yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And agree. again, like I have in my head, it's I've never seen him draw it, but I have my mental interpretation of what a John Romita Jr. Kyle Rayner would look like. And it is dope as hell. Like I want to see that. Did you tell him? I've to- I told him when we were on the- when he was on the show. Okay. And you know, the other thing I love about uh, Uncle John is the fact that he's like no one's got a bad word to say about him in the realm of the comic creators. Like no one's ever said anything bad. They all love and respect the guy, and you don't see that with a lot of creators. Some like you'll hear like, "Oh, so and so's a dick," or "So and so, you know, uh, they they ate my cat." It's like you know whatever, <laughs> but it's like never heard like you know a negative thing about like him being late for something because he never is you've never heard him do this or that and it's like he was never a troublemaker and you know he's gone on the record saying like I kind of wish I had gone off to image with all of them at one point because I would have loved to have seen what I could do there it would have been neat Mm -hmm. but we got to see some cool stuff there at Marvel you know like he got to create one of the best Daredevil stories of all time with Frank the Tank Miller it's like what he got to do that mm. Mm. and one that you know even gets referenced in like the material nowadays like that whole you know that costume where he's got the black uh the black shirt wrapped around his face and it's like right i i, I love and i always talk i'll always bring this up i remember when that show was like coming out and like they were showing early images of like what the costume looked like and i remember somebody got mad and said oh they ruined the character <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, fast forward, this person is probably one of those saying, like, oh, Daredevil's making jokes in She-Hulk, ruining the character. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Didn't, like, five years ago you hate this version? Oh, no, that was uh, Aurora Borealis. You know, in my kitchen? No. But it's funny because, like, that was what made this, that you know, that show work because of interpretations like that and that visual dynamic. Like, let me just say this. I got my girlfriend a bunch of Daredevil comics because she loves the show. And I gave her the Man Without Fear miniseries by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. And I said, read this. She still hasn't read it. But I got it for her. And there's just like something cool about those stories. It's like, why wouldn't you tell those stories with an artist like that? And like Mm -hmm. seeing him collaborate with Frank Miller. My God. My favorite artist writer teaming up with my other favorite artist. Oh, well then. Of course. My God. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard, like, complaints and grievances, but on a writing element of the uh, the Superman year one. Like, I understand why people don't like that. But guess what? I don't give a shit because I got to see my favorite writer work with my favorite artist. That, that's, that's good stuff. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. I, I get it. Yeah. Okay. It's good. But <laughs> I live my life with shit posting every single day. My God. But in regards to... You know, John Romita Jr. I got, I got to gush for like uninterrupted. So Eddie, you did tell me yeah. in regards to John Romita Jr. And by the way, thank you to Dynamite Comics for giving us the John Romita uh, Ju- Senior and Junior Legacy book. It's called Eddie, the Romita Legacy, and it's available in comic book stores, or, or you can order it on Amazon, or you can order it on Dynamite Com. I think it's Dynamite.com. It's or DynamicForces.com. Dynam- Order it on there. It's a great book. And it's like, you know, featuring an interview with the creators, you know, John Romita Jr. and Sr. And 
just good stuff. And not but, that, uh, no, I'm, I'm realizing, too, that I think this is uh, not exactly a new publication. But you see... On, references around 2000, yeah, First American Edition 2010. Yeah. yeah, and like you're seeing on the cover, like, by the way, one of Ramita's biggest trademarks, Rain. I love how he draws rain. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like he's gone on, you know, saying, oh, so many people hate when I have, you know, have him draw rain because they got to do this, this, and this. I'm like, I don't care. You may... I love the rain personally in my real everyday life. And to see my favorite artists like incorporate rain like that. And by the way, I don't know if you could tell there's a little bit of a bias on my end, at least with John <laughs> Romita Jr. Just, just a smidgen, just a smidgen, ladies and gentlemen. But, you know... Like I said, you didn't really get to say your part with John Romita Jr. Like, what attracts you to his work as much as it does for yourself? I, I think it's visual more than anything else. And, you know, complimenting, of course, the writing. So, you know, when you're seeing a great writer-artist team up doing their thing together, and this was really the Spider-Man I grew up with, whether it was through the Marvel Tales reprinting I'm, I'm of it. Ju- I'm talking about Junior already. I know, but I'm saying just in general about and then coming into it. And I think, you know, not being as maybe as I as I further age that I'll be more um, noticing, not critical, of the changes. We talked about this, I think, before we started recording, the differences in the visuals between senior and junior. And, you know, they're coming into their own style. It's funny. And so on that you do after some time recognize, oh, that's senior, oh, that's junior. Ever since I started recording with you, like the fact that you've never really noticed like differences in artists. And now that as we do this, I like point out, like, hey, Eddie, did you notice this? And you're like, oh, you're right. And it's like 10 years ago, you would have been like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? Also, that doesn't make sense. I don't see any difference. It's like you now you notice this stuff. And it's such a cool thing to experience. Yeah. But Eddie, you were saying. Like Cheryl Crow said, a change would do you good. Yes. Right, exactly. So uh, so this is part of the fabric of my Spider-Man. And I have that perspective as it happened in the 80s. And then again, pre-Todd McFarlane. Because when that happened, I was there. I was collecting. I was in the moment, so to speak, and just be going like, okay, this is different. Who Who's this coming along here now? And, oh, he's doing this run for some significant number of issues. And, and so I'm like, okay, I'm rolling with it. I'm seeing a lot more webs. And a different style of drawing webs and so on, and that's and that's Todd, yeah. you know, uh, but nothing to take away from the Spitzgetty webbing. And the other thing too would be, in in the moment of, and not that we had been collecting of subscribing to the Daily News for any period of time, but eventually I would come across and see, and maybe only from the Sunday paper, getting that and getting and even in color, instead of the black and white, three panels of. Spider-Man in the Daily News, which now, when I had seen that both what the first and second volumes were collected, oh yeah, gotta have them. So they're in, you know, good keeping there, as well. Um, yeah, but all high marks, I'd say for, for Ramita, for J- for Jr. And I would just say overall iconic work from both of them like when you manage to pull off so many great stories and great moments like as i'm going through my spider-man read through by the way up to 1993 like kind of in there now like in between 92 and 93 a little bit but i'm experiencing and by the way i'm watching you like flip through the book i'm seeing right now punisher warzone literally just picked up the entire uh john romita jr run of that because i'm like i want to read these and when you make a version of the punisher with how he looks like it's a very distinct way for his version because it's the broken nose Punisher. Yeah. Like there's, and it's, he did that on purpose because he wants him to be this battle damaged human being because he does that can't go to the hospital Mm -mm. because look how many people he's killed. You know, it's like that, that'll put up a couple of red flags. Don't know if you know that, but I think it will. Just one big one. Yeah. Yeah. Flag on the plane, flag on the plane. But (laughs) with a lot of these stories, like it's great to see. And, yeah, I think that's uh, going to wrap this episode up. But before we go, let's go over to our interview with John Romita Jr. at New York Comic Con 2022. So this is the final uh, give it. This is about this is about the final 15-ish minutes of New York Comic Con Day Four of 2022. 
and we are sitting here joined with John Ramita Jr. You're you're a two timer now. Congratulations yeah. on that. I'm impressed. I never, I didn't know you had more than one timers. We we it happens from time to time. All right. Well, I'm in good company. It's me. So how have you been? Very well, thank you. I'm here, and every time I get up in the morning, that makes the day for me. I'm happy. Absolutely. Anything after that is icing on the cake. So earlier during the convention, I ended up getting a commission from you of uh, Spider-Man, and it's like the dual, you know, kind of uh, the Spider-Sense kind of thing, which, by the way, if anybody out there knows, that's, you know, it was Ditko doing a joke on Stan, just like get more both in the same shot, so... You know that. You yeah. know that story. He's like, he was just like annoyed. He's like, fine, I'll do this, Stanley. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, you're you're the master of the headshots. Like, that was fast, and it was super detailed and everything. I don't know about the master. You know what I mean, dude? It was in the top two. How about that one? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the trick is that when you go to a convention, you're starting to do so many that it becomes easier for you later on in the match. But the first couple of the first day... Yeah, you struck. And what is it, like? What are like the biggest tips you could give somebody for when they want to do headshots and stuff like that? Uh, tip? Yeah. I don't know. Really? I don't have any idea because every artist does things differently. Gotcha. Uh, my trick is to make sure that at least it's simplified because you don't want to add too much stuff that gets it takes too long. So a simple shot. That's my idea is to be simplified. Uh, but I don't have any advice for anybody else because I don't want to tell other artists how to do things. Yeah. I'm helpless. What can I say? That's a, that's hey. a tough question. No worries. Now, in regards to a lot of the stuff going on Spider-Man, you, again, we talked about it last time. You're back on the title. There's a lot of stuff going on. You're doing phenomenal-looking covers. Thank you. And, you know, again, you're back on the title. You're back home. What is it like to feel, you know, be back home to the House of Ideas? It's, uh, doing Spider-Man... I was melancholy for the character, and Daredevil, too, for that matter. Wow. Uh, Spider-Man feels like a sibling. I grew up with the character, watched my father do it as a kid. I've always wanted to do it again, and I got a chance to do it again. It's a great feeling. But going back to Marvel is like coming home. Simple as that. I had a great time during this Disney run. I did some great characters, and I worked with some great writers. I have no complaints about that, but I got a chance to go home again, and that's, that's important. That's heartfelt. Now, since we're in a public place with a lot of fans who don't want to hear spoilers for things, I'm going to try and be as vague as possible, but during the interview you mentioned with us, you ha are doing a redesign of a character based on a song that is going to be showing up in a future one. By the way, I've been listening to that song a lot. Yeah, great song. <laughs> so, what I wanted to know is, when you come back to a character and you do a redesign of a character, what is it? what are some of the little things that you want to change in there? Is it like, you know... You have to at least update fashion-wise. Yeah. And I don't mean that the guy has to have a suit that looks updated. But at least something that would look as if the character is recent. Yeah. However, the character's been around for 30 years. So you have to consider all of it. Uh, hairstyle, a little bit different. Uh, the, the weapons, so to speak, have to be a little bit different. There's a couple of considerations, but you have to know it's the same guy. So the glasses might be the same, and his name is going to be the same. I'll work on it. I'll find something to make it look a little bit updated. When do you think, like, a costume... Can there be times when a costume is, like, never changed? Because, like, you know, you look at Spider-Man. Spider-Man's kind of timeless. Kick-Ass, by the way, that costume, I can't see making any other revisions. Like, it stays the same, and it's good. Sure. Sure. Because it, it became iconic in its own way. And then there's a lady in the same costume. Yeah. The, uh, the, the veteran. And even little bits and tweaks, but it's still... The but with a character... Like shotgun that we were talking about. Oh man. He's got to have this basis of the, of the weapons, but it's got to be updated, and he's not going to be a bad guy. Got to work on that. Might be an anti hero type of thing. Drifting away from shotgun, just so you know, so we don't maybe get a potential spoiler for this with him, but with a uh, costume that you've done a redesign for. What was your like proudest redesign moment where you're like, ooh, I got the right thing for this? Rogue. Rogue? Still appreciate this. Well, I was asked to do something fashionable. Opened up, I used to get W Magazine delivered to me, the big uh, newspaper letter. And Rogue's outfit, back in the 80s this was, was right there on the front page. It was showing. And it got very popular. And somebody asked me, how did I come up with the ideas? I stole it off of the W Magazine. It was on, it was on a runway, on a runway model the week before. Very proud of that. Very proud. And speaking of fashionable awards and just things like that, you know, we have what was the what was the award you wanted to give uh, Jim Shooter in response to your uh, 1984 hunk of the month? I'd like to put my foot in his ass and say it to him. <laughs> but a great practical joke. 
Absolutely. Do you know people still drop that thing in front of me? Right 40 years later. I'm kicking myself that I couldn't find a copy this weekend. I didn't think nobody, of having you bother with that. jokingly said, well, now that it's this time, it should be Senior Citizen Hump of the Month. And now, I said, F you. Now, in regards to the, you know, your involvement with X-Men, we're getting, you know, Wolverine returning to the big screen as Hugh Jackman and whatnot. And just seeing all these different iterations of the characters. And your run, your version of Wolverine is so, again, clean and... You didn't do the new, ver- you know, you didn't remodel the character or anything, but you made it still, like, help being timeless, you know? If I said that was, I was consciously doing that, I'd be a little bit off. It was more or less to make him look heroic and modern day at, at that time. But uh, it's been done so many times by so many people so well, I can't compare it to those. I, I did the best I could at the time. That's all I can say. I did the best I could, and I got lucky. Now, while she's in the vicinity as well, Spider Gwen. You know, have you done anything with her yet? I think I have. Because I, but only maybe convention sketches. I don't know if I've done anything inside. No, I think it's just been convention sketches. I hope to see that one day. Because honestly, like I love seeing, you know, Hannah's line work. You know, inking on top of your stuff. And some of the coloring, like the way it, po- it pops and everything. Because that is one of the biggest things about her costume. Just how vibrant and colorful it is. Like, yeah. And I th- think it's cool that where you can see it as fashionable hoodies that people wear with Spider-Gwen. I want one. I love the <laughs> lining inside. It's so cool. I agree. I like hoodies. Always and have. What, what, what are some characters that you've done with hoodies involved in the costume? Uh, well, the Hobgoblin was a hoodie. Uh, Green Goblin. Doctor, Doctor Doom. This... There's a whole bunch of characters that have hoods. Some that stay up, some that stay down. The, the, the Daredevil, Man Without Fear, when he puts his own uh, wrap around his head and there's a hood there. It, it gives you a chance to get moody. Uh, it sometimes is a little bit of a cheat because you don't have to worry about showing everything all the time. Yeah. It's a uh, mood enhancer, let's put it that way. Now, in regards to what is coming up next, some stuff is, you know, has changed since the last time we talked, even within the span of a month, you know. What is next? Can't tell you. Damn. But there are some new characters coming up. I just spoke to Zeb Wells, brilliant writer. He told me what we got coming. There's a lot of stuff down the road we can't talk about, but a couple of new characters, a couple of old characters. Can't want to say it. But let's just say Shotgun's going to show up. Absolutely. I'm very proud of that character. I want to, I'm curious to see if you're going to be just doing Spider-Man or for another title will come down the line because there's so many series. I love your Captain America that you did right before you left there Marvel. There is something else I want to do oh. and we've been discussing it but it might be just a short series and I'll stay on Spider-Man. I'm happy with Spider-Man and as long as they're happy with me and Scott yeah. and Zeb, I'll do it. There's something special about like those legacy characters, the timelessness of them. And Can't argue with that. When you, you know There are a lot of young up-and-coming artists. Are there any out there that you're seeing that you're just like wow, these kids are really good. I love seeing like the new generation. and agreed, and agreed. Yeah, that's the trick. It's to, <laughs> the up-and-comers, you always got to keep up with the Joneses. Yeah. And if I get stale before I'm time, it's time to go, the young artists will make me feel that way. I have to watch it. You can't, you can't not pay attention to the competition, so to speak. Yeah. If you do, and you think you're good enough, you're not going to get any better. And I still have room for improvement at this, age, at this stage. So when I see a young artist doing stuff that I think is fantastic, I get a little envious and I got to keep up with the Joneses. That's all there is to it. The whole concept also of just always learning and always going forward, keep doing it. That's the most important thing you got to do. Agreed. You know? Agreed and agreed. So now before we go, John, thank you as always for speaking with us. Thank you for coming over and listening to my rantings. I lovingly call you my comic book uncle. <laughs> just saying, Fabian DCAs is my comic book dad. You're my comic uncle. So I appreciate that. That's cool. Thank you're, you. you're in good company. Very good company. My pleasure. And always good to talk to you. You know you can talk to me anytime. Sounds good. No. Before we go, how can people get a hold of you on them, their social medias? Here you go. Everybody. Uh, uh, let's see. Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I have no idea what my, frame, my names are. I'm on there somewhere. Strong with me to join you in some way, shape, or form. For The Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. John Romita Jr., it's been a pleasure. Excelsior. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. She giggled a couple times, so I made some sense. Once again, thank you to John Romita Jr. for speaking on this episode from our recording at New York Comic Con 2022. It was on that Sunday. And by the way, 
the biggest compliment I can give uh, Uncle John for this is the fact that afterwards, my girlfriend was standing watching us talking the entire time, and nine times out of ten when we do an interview and she's with me, she is bored out of her mind. Just a heads up. She openly said afterwards, I liked him. He was really entertaining and fun to listen to. So congratulations, John Romita Jr. You got the girlfriend approval. A plus. Or it took a number of times that she did sit through, watch through, listen to others. And... Oh, she gets bored fast. Okay. All right. But Uncle, Uncle John did a great job of actually engaging her and, you know, making it entertaining. So and he's, just, he's just fun to listen he to. He engaged her, you're saying, huh? Sir. I'm not talking about a ring. Beyonce or otherwise, that he involved her in it, although not speaking directly to her. Yes. Okay, well, that plus, very much a plus. Anyway, thank you once again to Dynamite for getting us a copy each of the Ramita Legacy, and yeah, keep reading those comics. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson, XLCR. <laughs>